We are currently up to Limit Yaimi, Yemei Teshuvah, Day 2. A Torah thought for the day. The central prayer of Slichais is the Shalash Esrei Midai Sarachamim, the 13 attributes of mercy. These verses appears in the Torah in Shemais chapter 34, verses 6 and 7, in the passage where God proclaimed His readiness to do away with the Jewish people after the sin of the golden calf. Misha was successful in entreating God to grant forgiveness for this sin. The forgiveness culminated in Misha's descending from Sinai, from Harsinai with the second Luchais on the very first Yom Kippur. God's forgiveness was manifested through a statement of the 13 attributes of mercy. Rabbi Yechanan tells us in Rosh Hashanah 17b, that Hashem literally taught Maisha the procedure of requesting mercy. He appeared to Maisha in the form of a shliach tzibur, an emissary of the congregation, and demonstrated the order of this prayer, saying to him, Anyone that Israel, Any time that Israel sins, let them perform this service before me, and I shall not turn them away empty-handed. This in itself shows us the enormous power of this prayer, as it was taught to us by Hashem Himself, as we will see further in a Musar thought for the day. Since the 13 attributes of mercy appear in every day's Slichais, moreover, in the Slichais said on the fifth day of Aserisimei Teshuvah, even the main piyot of the day, which is said in most congregations verse by verse, is a piyot concerning these 13 attributes. It would be appropriate to have a basic simple explanation of this important prayer. As we know, there are also many profound and Kabbalistic meanings behind these words, but we have a rule. Ein mikra A verse does not leave its simple meaning. We will present one of the many interpretations based on Rashi, the Rosh and Shalah. The Torah passage containing the thirteen attributes of mercy reads, Vayavar Hashem al panav vayikra, Hashem Hashem, Kel, Rachum Mechanun, Erech Apayim, Rav Chesed Viemes, Noitzer Chesed La Alafim, Noise Ovain Vafesha, Vechata Venake. Hashem passed before him and proclaimed, Hashem Hashem, God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abundant in kindness and truth. Preserver of kindness for 2,000 generations, forgiver of, iniqui- of iniquity and willful sin and error, and who cleanses. Shemais 34, chapter 34, verses 6 and 7. 1. Hashem. The Talmud in Rosh Hashanah 17b explains that the first name relates to man before he sins. The Rush explains that although Hashem sees the future and knows that a person is going to sin, he nevertheless treats that person with mercy. 2. Hashem. This name of mercy is for after one sins, to allow him to repent. 3. Kael. God. This too is an attribute of mercy. It comes from the word Kale Haaretz, strength of the land. Hashem will even go against nature to have mercy on the person. That's according to the Shalah. 4. Rachum, merciful. This attribute is for a person who is slow to repent. 
even if he does receive punishments from Hashem, they will not be meted out with a full measure of wrath and anger, allowing him to survive and eventually repent. 5. The Chanon, Gracious. This is the attribute of Matnas Chinam, free gifts. Those who merit to find favor in Hashem's eyes receive special mercy even if they, do, even if they don't deserve it. Mentioning these attributes in itself merits this graciousness. See Rosh Hashanah 17b. Erech slow to anger. This is even greater than number four. Hashem delays punishment altogether for a period of time in order to allow a sinner to repent. Rav Chesed 7, abundant in kindness. The Talmud tells us that Hashem tilts the scales of justice toward kindness. For those whose merits and guilts are equally balanced, God tilts the scale to the side of merits. 8. The MS and Truth This attribute, explains the Briskarav, means that the verdict of Hashem's justice is truthful to anyone, even remotely affected by it. If anyone connected to a sinner is not deserving of the pain he would receive if the sinner were punished, then the entire judgment will not be issued. Neitzar Chesed La'alafim, preserver of kindness for 2,000 generations. This is the basis for the for Avais, the merit of our ancestors that affords us with merit. 10. Neitzar Avain, forgiver of iniquity. God forgives even the intentional sinner if he repents. He literally carries the sin, as Timur Devaira explains. Every sin creates a bad angel that needs sustenance, and instead of demanding this from the sinner, Hashem carries that burden, so to speak. 11. Vafesha, forgiver of willful sin. Even those who rebel against God and purposely seek to anger Him are given an opportunity to repent. 12. Vichata'a, forgiver of error. Even sins committed out of carelessness need repentance and forgiveness, as the sinner is deserving of punishment for not having been careful enough. That was taken from the Ramban. Vinake 13, who cleanses. God wipes away the sins of those who repent sincerely, as if they never existed. We see Hashem's love to us from the fact that He Himself does this cleansing, similar to a mother cleaning her soiled child. Rav Elia Lapian. Mishnah of the Day, Avaish chapter 4, verse 21. The previous Mishnah considered a ramification of the statement of the Mishnah that preceded it in chapter 4, verse 19. V. Since the wicked enjoy tranquility in this world, one should pleasantly greet every person. The coming Mishnah also follows on the theme of Mishnah 4, 19 and is meant to suggest that a partial explanation of the suffering of the righteous may lay in the principle that this world is meant to serve as an antechamber to the world to come. Hence, the righteous sometimes suffer in this world to atone for any sins they may have committed in this world, preparatory to their reward in the world to come. Moreover, these three Mishnahs and the next Mishnah may be seen as one continuous message as follows. Since the wicked enjoy tranquility and the righteous suffer, Mishnah chapter 4, verse 19, one might conclude that it is, that it is advantageous to join with the wicked. The Mishnah in chapter 4, verse 20, 
therefore admonishes that one should strive to be a tail to the lions, i.e. the height, the, the righteous, and not a head to the foxes, i.e. the wicked. For as the coming Mishnah explains, success in this world is transitory, and the ultimate tranquility of the world to come can be achieved only as we shall see in the next Mishnah in chapter 4, verse 22, through the repentance and good deeds exemplified by the righteous, Derechayim. Rabbi Yaakov Oimer, Ha'olam Hazeh Doime Leprozdar Bifnei Ha'olam Habo. Rabbi Yaakov says, This world is similar to an antechamber before the world to come. Haskein Atzmecha Baprozdar Kedeshitikanes Latraklin. Therefore, Ready yourself in the antechamber so that you may enter the palace. A prasdar, an antechamber, is either a smaller structure in front of a main building, according to the Rambam commentary, or the corridor between the gate and the main courtyard, according to Rashi. With this metaphor, Rabbi Yaakov emphasizes the transitory nature of this world, stating that it is not an end unto itself, but rather a means of allowing man to reach his ultimate destination of the world to come. Rambam's Commentary The word prizdar is of Greek origin, according to Rashi, and is used by the Targum to translate the term ulam, antechamber, the entrance hall to the sanctuary of the temple. Rav from Targum, from Targum, from Alachim Aleph, chapter 7, verse 7, where ulam hamishpat is translated as You'll see, look in Magin Aves Rishon Letzian. 2. One who is preparing for an audience with the king combs his hair and adjusts his clothing in the antechamber just outside the royal courtyard. Rashi Machzer Vitri. Similarly, our Mishnah urges man to use his time in this world to prepare himself through repentance and the performance of good deeds, as we will see in the next Mishnah so that he might merit a place in the world to come, according to the Rav Rambam Commentary and Rabbeinu Yoyna. The Rambam Commentary translates Traklin as Heichal, literally a sanctuary. For further insight into this translation, see Maginavais. Gems from the Gemara The Gemara in Avaidazara 3a relates that at the end of days, at the onset of the period of the world to come, the nations will plead, Master of the universe, give the Torah to us anew and we will observe its precepts. However, expressing the theme of our Mishnah, Hashem will respond to them, Fools of the world! Whoever toiled on the eve of the Sabbath, i.e. before the onset of the Sabbath, while one is permitted to work, will eat on the Sabbath itself. But whoever did not toil on the eve of the Sabbath, from where will he eat on the Sabbath? I. Only one who labored to perform mitzvahs in this world will be rewarded in the world to come. Once the era of the world to come has arrived, it is too late to earn reward. Take note, everybody. Hashem continues, however, all the same, I will accede to your request and test whether you really would have observed the Torah. I have an easy mitzvah, and its name is Sukkah. Go and perform it. The Gemara subsequently relates how the non-Jews failed in their attempt to keep this mitzvah properly. The Gemara then asks, How is it that God gives the nations one more chance? Did not Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi say, What is the meaning of that which is written in the Varm chapter 7 verse 11? 
You shall keep the commandments that I command you today to do them. Today, i.e. this world, was made to do them, the commandments, and not tomorrow, in the world to come. Today was made to do them, and today was not made for receiving their reward. i.e. there is no further possibility of performing good deeds in the world to come. A person has for himself in the next world only as much as he has prepared for himself in this world by performing God's will. See Rashi Tavaydazara 4b. Why then does God give the nations a second chance in the world to come? The Gemara answers that God gives them this chance because he does not seek excuses to deal harshly with his creations. On the contrary, he seeks to provide them with ways to be successful. I.e., strictly speaking, the nations had no right to expect a second chance. But God in his mercy does not always treat his creations according to the letter of the law. Rather, he gives them every opportunity to succeed. Take note again. Much as a loving father will do for a child, or a teacher for a beloved student, Rashi. Thus, although by rights there should be no possibility of repentance or good deeds in the world to come, God in his mercy may override this principle. A Musr thought of the day. The Talmud states in Rosh Hashanah 17b that Hashem entered a covenant with Yisrael, agreeing that whenever they mention the 13 attributes of mercy during their fast day prayers, according to Rashi, they will not go unanswered. The Gra says, whenever it says this expression, Bris Krusa, a covenant is sealed, it means that no sin can stand in the way to prevent the prayer from being answered. Rabbeinu Bachya adds that it must be recited with at least an understanding of the basic explanation and the simple meaning of the words that are said. As we have saw, as we have learned today in the Torah thought for today, in the mean, in the, um, for the simple meaning of the attributes according to some commentaries. He remarks that today we do not have a Beis HaMikdash or a Kohen Gadol to bring our atonement. The only thing we have is this prayer of the 13 attributes. One may wonder, what is the great significance of this prayer? At first glance, it doesn't even seem to be a prayer or request, just an enumeration of Hashem's attributes of mercy, of mercy, wherein lies its greatness. To understand this, let us study another very unique Gemara found right before the one mentioned above. Rav Yechanan says regarding the verse, Vayavar Hashem Alpanav Vayikra, Hashem passed before him and proclaimed, in Shemais chapter 34, verse 6. Were this verse not written in scripture, it would be impossible to say. This phrase teaches us that the Holy One, blessed is He, wrapped Himself like someone who leads the prayer service, Shliach Tzibur. This is derived from the word Vayavar, which refers to the one who is Oiver Lifnei the emissary of the congregation who passes before the ark, and demonstrated the order of prayer to Moshe, the 13 attributes, saying to him, Any time Israel sins, let them perform this service before me, and I shall pardon them. We may ask, why was it necessary for Hashem to appear as a chazan wrapped in a talus in order to teach Moshe this particular prayer? Had he just dictated these 13 attributes, these 13 attributes to Moshe, what would have been lacking? The Ma'aral in Be'er HaGayla 4 explains this purpose of ituf, wrapping in a talus, which really means covering one's head. This prevents a person from looking around and becoming distracted with other thoughts. Ituf thus represents full concentration, with one thinking only about the words he is uttering. You know, I, 
on a side note, I've always I've always found that whenever I'm in shul, and I I'm constantly getting distracted because you know people people come into shul and in the middle of davening it's not their fault you know they come in people they walk around the chairs get the chairs move there's a lot of noise so I'm constantly like looking up to see what's going on and I'm I always try not to but not all the time does it work so. I always, I always envy the people who are married and they wear talesim, or the Sfardim who wear talesim, or the people who come from, whose ancestry comes from Germany, who also wear talesim before the bar mitzvah. The Sfardim also wear talesim before the bar mitzvah. But anybody who wears a talis, in other words, they have the opportunity to completely cover their face, which means that they don't look at anybody. They, they can be completely wrapped up in their davening if they really, if they want to. I mean, they can use that as a. I mean, I'm sure they're wrapped up in their davening regardless. But this is such a simple. Way to, to to keep yourself in your davening without any distractions. Just wrap yourself in a talus. I mean, you're literally wrapping yourself in the talus anyway. Just go ahead, cover your face. <laughs> I mean, cover co- cover yourself like it's like blinders. You, you know, like how a horse is going down the street and how the and how they make sure that the horse doesn't get distracted. What do they do? They put blinders on either side of the eye so that the horse can't see to the right or to the left. It can only see straight, so it doesn't get afraid by anything to the sides. So you can do the same thing by shachris. You can do the same thing by davening. Put blinders on. Put put the talus over your eyes so you don't get distracted. It's such an amazing and such an easy, simple answer to the problem of distractions during davening. You know, I mean, if something really happens, you're going to get distracted regardless. But why why take the risk? Put for yourself a gather. Put for yourself a fence so that you don't fall into such a pit of of being distracted during davening. You know, you're praying to the to the Creator. It's not a place to talk. It's not a place to to, to, to say hello to your friends, I'm sorry. I know you don't see them all day and, and you actually see them by Shachris, Mincha, and Mayrev and you know it's a great opportunity to talk but you're sitting in a shul for crying out loud. Come on. This is HaKadosh Baruch Hu you're talking to. You're talking to the King of Kings. I mean, we've learned over the past three months that, that a, a person goes to, a person is terrified even to go in front of the Queen of England and start talking in front of her. Are you crazy? You're going to talk in front of the queen of in front of the queen of England and she doesn't even come close to the power of God? Are you nuts? Come on people. That's ridiculous. I've, it was always been a pet peeve for me even when I wasn't religious. It's just the thought of people going into a shul and talking and talking about narishkeit and talking about stuff that have nothing to do with God. You're coming into God's room. You're coming into God's place. I'm sorry that I'm going on a rant, but this is so close to my heart. And I hope that this is not coming out of Gaiva or anything or whatever I it's just it's a ridiculous thing it's absolutely ridiculous you know there's so much opportunities to talk to your friends why 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 go into a shul and talk to your friends why for what what do you really have to gain from doing such a thing on this world or in the next you go into a shul to daven you go into a shul to learn why the cell phones why the I mean the Rabbanim are 100% right and I don't even have to say that. Everybody should know this already. Cell phones in shul should be a no-no. Turn off your stupid phone. You're, you're going in front of, uh, of the king of kings and you're going to pick up your phone? It's a, it, it's, it's, it's a tragedy. It's a tragedy. And we want to know why we're under such tribulations? I mean, I'm not saying that's the reason. And I'm not saying that I know what God does in this world. Chas v'shalom, absolutely not. But some stuff are just so obvious. It's so obvious. Come on. What's the matter? What's the matter with us? Why do we do this? We do this to ourselves. We shoot ourselves in the foot. We go to Davin to, best, to ask Hashem for mercy. We go to Davin and we say Slichas. We go to the Mikvah, 
those of us who, who do, uh, we should all do, just some of us are embarrassed to go to the mikvah. And, and it's, we do all these things and then we go ahead and we speak Lashon Hara. Then we, I know it's difficult, but work on it. Work on it. I know, I know, we're in a world, we're in, we're, we're in, we're, we're in a world where, where there's so much flying in our faces. We're in a generation that's, that's so low, unfortunately, that, that we just, it is what it is, you know. God put us into this generation for a reason. And so obviously we have the strength to pass these tests. God doesn't give you tests that you cannot pass. So God would not have put Arnish Shamas into this generation if he didn't think that we could actually pass our, our tests. So stop. Stop doing what you're doing. Think for a second. Think before you start texting in shul. Think before you start talking on your phone in shul. Turn your stupid ringer off. Your wife could wait. If your wife, I mean, your wife truly understands, unless it's an emergency, I mean, I don't know, man. I don't know. I mean, every case is different, and I cannot speak for everybody, but, but for me, I think it's a tragedy. It's a real tragedy. I mean, it, you're, 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 you're begging Hashem for mercy. You're begging Hashem to give you all the good in the world. You're begging Hashem to do all this, and then, you know, you're like, Hashem. like you know, Hello, how are you doing? What's going on? Oh, why didn't you come to Shul? You know, you're being a big tzaddik by telling your friend to come to shul in the middle of davening or in the middle of a shir that you're learning. Come on. Give me a break. Give God a break. Let him be merciful. Stop giving the satan excuses to go before God to tell him that we're not worthy of a good year. Come on. Be, be smart. Be smart. Wow. That was powerful. So this, so the Maral in the Bera Gaila 4 explains the purpose of Ituf, wrapping in a talus, which really means covering one's head. This prevents a person from looking around and becoming distracted with other thoughts, right? Ituf thus represents full concentration, with one thinking only about the words he is uttering. The purpose of mentioning these attributes of Hashem is as the verse states in Yirmiya 9, 20, chapter 9, verse 23, Haskel v'yadaya oisi, become enlightened and know me. Hashem wants us to become familiar with His ways and attributes, so that we will try to emulate them and live a life that incorporates these characteristics. Merely saying the words without full concentration will not have the intended effect. They are not a prayer or request per se, but are more powerful than any request. The more a person concentrates on who Hashem is, the closer he becomes to him. He then doesn't have to verbalize his request, for his close proximity to Hashem grants him free access to whatever he needs without even uttering a single request. That is the strength of this prayer and the meaning of Ituf, and the reason his prayer will not go unanswered. Wow. Okay. I do not apologize for that rant. Halacha of the day. The following laws have been called from Rambam's Hilchas Tshuva, Maimonides' codification of the laws of repentance. The translation by Rabbi Avi Gold originally appeared in greater detail in the volume Yom Kippur of the Art Scroll Messiah series. 1. 1. Should a person transgress any mitzvah of the Torah, whether positive or negative, whether intentionally or inadvertently, when he repents and returns from his sin, 
He must make confession before Hashem, blessed is he. Verbal confession. And that confession is a positive mitzvah. How does one confess? One should say, I beg of you, Hashem. I have erred. I have been, I have been iniquitous. I have willfully sinned against you. And such and such and have I done. But now I am contrite and ashamed of my actions. I shall never again repeat them. This is the essence of confession. However, increasing the length and breadth of one's confession is a praiseworthy trait. 1.3 Today when the Beis HaMikdash is not standing and we do not have the atonement of the sacrificial altar, there is nothing but teshuva, for teshuva atones for all sins. Even if one who has been wicked for an entire lifetime does teshuva at the end, i.e. quite late in life, we do not remind him about any of his wickedness, as the verse states, Harasha The wicked one will not stumble over his wickedness on the day he repents from his wickedness. Yecheskel chapter 33 verse 12 Additionally, the very essence of the day of Yom Kippur provides atonement for penitence. As it says, For through this day he will atone for you. Vayikar chapter 16 verse 30 2. 1. What is complete teshuva? When one who has transgressed is faced with the opportunity to repeat his sin and the power to do so, right? Yet refrains neither out of fear nor out of weakness, but because he wishes to repent. For example, a man who has had an illicit relationship with a woman and at a later date finds himself secluded with her, his desire for her and his physical strength remaining the same, and in the same venue where he had previously sinned, yet he refrains and does not transgress. Just please don't do this at home. You know, don't go out with that same girl that you did because, yeah, whatever. He is the complete penitent. Yet, right? yet he refrains and does not transgress. He is the complete penitent. It is of him that Shlomo said, And remember your Creator in the days of your youthful passion. Kehelas chapter 12 verse 1. It must be stressed, however, that a person should preferably never find himself in this position as it is imperative that such a person, as part of his repentance, take steps to ensure that such a situation does not occur. Nevertheless, if, Hashem's br if Hashem brings him to such a situation and he triumphs over his desires, he is a complete penitent. And by the way, not only by this Avera, by any Avera that you do, when, when, you're, when, when you're doing Teshuva, a lot of times that Avera becomes manifest. Like it starts to, like it starts to take over your thoughts and your, and your desires. That, that's not bad. It might feel bad and it might feel like it is something that's, it might feel like, you know, like, like you're going back down again, but you're really not. It's just Hashem helping you out. It's Hashem putting you in the same situation because He wants you to be in the same situation. And he will not put you in that same situation. Hashem will not put you in that same situation again unless you can pass. So don't worry. I mean, you should be worried because it's a test, and it's obviously something that you fell in before. And the reason why you fell in before is because you're. It's something that you're. You have a taiva for. But don't. Don't, put yourself down just because you have that thought. It does not mean that you fell. It just means that Hashem is putting you in the situation again so that you can actually pass the test this time so that He can forgive you for the, all the times that you did it before because now when you pass the test, 
You did it. You're forgiven. You did teshuva. Believe it or not, you did teshuva. That's an amazing thing. Okay, so, and, and I'm, again, all this is my learning, so I'm telling this to myself. You can take from me whatever you want from whatever I'm telling you. I'm not doing this for you. This is pure tithe. This is pure gaiva. Okay, I'm doing this for me. I'm telling this to myself. I did so much things. Okay, it's, I was, I'm alive, Baruch Hashem, for a long time, and there's a lot of stuff that I did. I, I pray to Hashem that He does not put me into any of those situations again. But if He does, if Hashem does, I pray to Hashem that He puts me in those situations only at a time when I can actually, when I have the strength to pass it, and I pray to Hashem that Hashem will be with me in, during those times, and Hashem will give me the strength to pass. Because if I can't pass, I'm going to go through all this all over again. I would prefer not to. I would really prefer not to. My goal in life is that by the end, I should, I should be able to, to, to I, I want to complete my mission in life. And, and Hashem is going to keep on throwing me this test until I pass. And that's what Hashem did to me for the past 33 years. Hashem kept on throwing at me these tests and I kept on failing. So you keep on failing, Hashem gives it to you. Hashem is giving it to you again to, for you, for your benefit. Not because He hates you, not because Hashem is trying to, is trying to make you fall. Hashem is giving you these tests for you to grow. These tests are here for you to grow. Use them. Utilize them. You know, and a lot of times when people do a virus, it's, it's, it's a step. You know, you tried, you failed. You're right. It, it, yes, it is a failure. The, fa the word failure is correct. You failed. But you, you, you failed to, to pass, you failed to pass the test, but it doesn't mean, but it's, you, you failed that battle. Okay? But you most definitely did not lose the war. The war ends only when you're dead. So, you know, that's why you also have to be careful that even when you're laying on, on your, uh, not you, when somebody's laying on their deathbed and, they, and, and, and the satan is there with them until the last second because that's his job. It's the satan's job to test you. The satan is Hashem's messenger to test you. Yes, we, we view the satan through the prism of evil because Hashem created evil for us to, to grow. But from Hashem's viewpoint, I don't know what Hashem's viewpoint is, so I'm, I'm not going to continue on that thought process. But from our viewpoint, we have to understand that the Satan is, is on this world for us to grow. And if not for the Satan, we might as well just either be angels, because the angels don't have the Satan. I mean, as far as I know from my learning so far, the angels don't have, the, don't have a Satan to make them do Averis. They do have their own tests, whatever that means. But according to what we learned so far in, in all this farm that we've learned, Bar Hashem, um, they, they do have their own tests, but we can't really understand their tests. But they do have the capacity to fail. What does that mean? I have no idea. But, but if we wouldn't have the Satan, if we wouldn't have the Yitzhahara, which means that we wouldn't have the capacity to fail, what the heck are we doing on this world? What? We might as well be the, a cow grazing in the field. He's fulfilling his purpose. He doesn't have Yitz, she doesn't have Yitzhahara, right? It's a cow. She doesn't have Yitzhahara. She just does her purpose. She, she, she feeds, she gives milk, she does whatever, and at the end of her life she dies, she goes back to dust, or if she's lucky, she gets slaughtered by a Jew, and, she gets, and we make brachas, and, 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 and the meat of that, of that cow gets pushed up in the world. Yeah, I actually learned that like 17 years ago, most probably, and I just remembered Baruch Hashem. Unfortunately, I cannot say where I learned it. But, um, so you'll have to think about that on your own and try to figure it out. But um, yeah, you know, it's, it's an amazing thing. Teshuvah is an amazing thing. And part of the Teshuvah process is to get tested again. Because until you get tested again, how do you know that you're never, that, you know never going to do it again? Right? So you get tested again and you do it again. Or you don't do it again. If you do it again, 
Okay, fine. You failed, but you that was just a battle. You lost the battle. Great, fine. But the war is ongoing. The war goes until until your last day on earth, until the last second, and the Yitzhar is going to be there until your soul leaves your, pre, your your earthly body. That's that's just how it is. That's life. That's what we're here to do. We're here to work. Bizra'i, whatever, I mean, I'm not going to say that Pasuk because I'm going to butcher I'm going to butcher it. But we came to this world to work. Okay? We came to this world to work. We have a job. It's not always easy. Every day we go through our different garbage. This happens, that happens. This person ticked you off. We try not to let it bother us. But, you know, if we're human, it does bother us. And it does impact the rest of our lives. Because, you know, like, how, how could this person do this to me? I did so many things for him and now he's doing this to me. I'm not talking about anybody, okay? So whoever's listening to this and I know them, please don't take it as if I'm talking to you. I'm just giving examples, okay? I'm talking to you, but I'm not, I'm not saying that, that, that this has anything to do with anybody. I'm just saying everything in life, if we, we, as, as human beings, we're fallible. So we let these things get to us, unfortunately. But it is what it is, you know? We, gotta, we, we, gotta, we, we lose the battle, continue. Just keep moving. Keep moving forward. Don't let the, don't let the battle that you lost interrupt your, your wonderful life, your beautiful life that Hashem put you in this world to do. Everybody has what they have to do. And Hashem gives us so many opportunities to do it. Don't worry. Once you're done your job, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing. Hopefully Hashem lets you stay on this world to just continue doing mitzvahs. But if not, then you finish your job and Hashem, not you again, chas shalom, uh, whoever, and Hashem takes them back. After they, Baruch Hashem, they finish their job. They don't need to be here anymore. Baruch Hashem. Okay, fine. I know. It. People, people are nifter and it's sad. And, and who am I to say any of this? Because I don't know anybody personally that was nifter. Baruch Hashem. So I, I don't know the feeling of, of having a close one die, Chas Hashem. Baruch Hashem, Baruch Hashem. May my, fat, may my parents live to 120 in good health. But, um, but you know, so I can't judge anybody, but no buts. Okay, let's continue. Um, <clears throat> Even if one does not repent until his old age, at a time when he is no longer able to do that which, I, he, that which he had done earlier, Although his teshuva is not of the highest degree, it avails him and he is a penitent. Even if one has sinned his entire lifetime but repents on the day of his death and dies in a state of repentance, all his sins are forgiven. Again, we have to really understand what that means. I don't, so I'm not going to try to explain that further. I'm not so sure that, I mean, okay, it also says that that, that if somebody um, says that he's going to do a various and like right now, it's because it says over here that he that he could repent before he dies. Hashem will not give him the opportunity to repent. So please keep that in mind if you're going to decide to do a verse for the rest of your life. If you're going to decide to sin for the rest of your life, just so that it's because you know that you can repent. Because God, I don't know. Again, you know, God God might give the person a chance to repent because it could be the person will repent from doing what he did, from from what he said. So Hashem. Hashem is, infinite, is, Hashem is infinitely merciful. So who am I to say? I'm, I, I, I don't know. But according to what I've learned, if a person does that, Hashem, heaven does not give him the opportunity to repent. So th that's not a trick. That's a fallacy. That's not a trick. That is a fallacy. I repeated that on purpose. Okay, so now we could continue. As Shlomo, as Shlomo Amalach says further, Ad asher lo sechshach hashemesh vaar vayerech vakechavim veshavu haavim achar goshem. So long as the sun and the light and the moon and the stars have not darkened and the clouds have returned after the rain, 
these terms are a metaphor for the day of death, right? Because as long as you're alive, things exist. You could see the sun, you could see the moon, you could see all these things. But when you when a person is nifter, when a person goes on to the next world, obviously you can't see any you can't see any of these things anymore. So he so obviously this these words are metaphorical. Thus, if one remembers his creator and repents before he dies, he shall be forgiven. Again, he doesn't go into what I said before. I'm sure we'll find that someplace sooner or later because it's mentioned multiple times across many, many svarms. So we're, I'm going to be learning for the rest of my life, however long that is, hopefully also until 120 because I need all the time I can to do teshuva. And hopefully Hashem gives me all the time that I need. A closer look at the Siddur. One of the important added prayers that we say during the 10 days of repentance is, of repentance is Avinu Malkenu, Our Father, Our King. The 22nd phrase seems very strange. Avinu Malkenu, Kasvenu Besefer Zechuyas. Our Father, Our King, inscribe us in the Book of Merits. How can we be inscribed in the Book of Merits if we do not have those merits? We can understand the request to be inscribed we can understand the request to be inscribed in the books of good life, sustenance, etc. Even if we do not deserve this according to our merits, for the power of prayer, especially during these 10 days when Hashem is extremely close to us, right, is so great that we can be treated mercifully. However, merits can be achieved only by doing acts of merit, performing mitzvahs, etc. If one did not wear tefillin or eat matzah, how can he be inscribed in that book? In, in, in that book, right? In that book, we will offer two explanations for this prayer. First, Rav Daniel of Kelm expl- explained zechuyos merits this way. The Chayvus Alvavis says that even if a person has the proper intention to perform a mitzvah correctly, it is no simple matter to actually do so. He needs much help from above. Siata Deshmaya to actually carry out the good deed. Take, for instance, the mitzvah of tefillin. A person can designate a large sum of money to purchase the most expensive set available, and it is not definite that he will meet his obligation. The cipher, the scribe, must write the tefillin with the right intentions. He must not omit a single letter. All four corners of the tefillin must be perfectly squared. They must be completely black. The wearer must not distract himself from them as long as he is wearing them. He must have a clean body, a gufnaki. There is much need then for such a prayer. Inscribe us in the Book of Merits that we should be granted many opportunities to be able to carry out these good deeds to fruition. Another explanation can be based on a Gemara and Bava Basra 10a, which states that just as a person's sustenance for the coming year is a portion to hit for him on Rosh Hashanah, so a person's losses for the coming year are also appointed for him on Rosh Hashanah. Zacha, if one merited good fortune, he will give that amount to the poor and will merit reward for this. Loi Zacha, but if he did not merit good fortune, the government will confiscate that amount. Right, so we all got to start praying, huh? The Gemara goes on to illustrate this principle with an incident that occurred with Rav Yechanan ben Zakkai and his nephews. Rav Yechanan dreamed that they would lose 700 dinars during the following year. 
Obviously, dinar was a currency during their time. Rav Yechanan spent the year convincing them to donate to various tzedakah causes, to various charities. Um, by the end of the year, they had contributed 683 dinars. The remaining 17 dinars were confiscated from them on Erev Yom Kippur. If you want to have proof that this is true, see the Marsha regarding why it was not done on Erev Rosh Hashanah. Rav Yechanan told them not to fear losing anymore because they had now reached the amount that was apportioned for them to lose that year. Right? Lucky is the man who, who, <laughs> who could have that shortcut, who could have that, you know, siyat deshmaya to know what he's supposed to lose that coming year. The Gemara explains that he never told them how much they were going to have to give, so they should donate the money l'shma for the sake of the mitzvah, and not just because they would lose the money anyway. So you see, there's certain types of tricks that you have to do to learn l'shma, to do different things for the proper reasons. But a lot of times, it's very difficult to do things l'shma, so you have to give yourself added boosts, added, added, added reasons to do certain things, and it's okay, because you start off doing mitzvahs not l'shma, HaKadosh Baruch Hu gives you the schos and the honor and the pleasure to eventually do, do these same mitzvahs l'shma because Hashem knows what's going on in your heart and how much you really want to do mitzvahs. It's just that you have so much klipas around your neshama that it makes it very difficult to do things l'shem shamayim. So you have to trick your neshama, you have to, not your neshama, you have to trick your Yitzhahara who has, been taking, who has took over your, your melucha, who has taken over your kingdom of your body for such a long time. It's not so easy to just start doing good deeds. It's not so easy to just start doing teshuva. So you have to do certain things to trick your Yitzhahara so that you know he lays off a little bit. He doesn't realize that what you're doing, even though right now he knows what I'm saying. So, um, you know, and obviously he's the biggest trickster. But how do you trick a trickster? That's a good question. We've got to learn from Lavan. From Lavan, because Yaakov Avinu went to Lavan, right? And Lavan Arami was the trickster. So what did Yaakov do? He had to trick the trickster. You got to read that parsha. We'll get up to it eventually and we'll read it. It's amazing. Absolutely amazing. Okay, uh, we can explain our request to be written in the Sefer Zechuyis, the Book of Merits, in a similar manner. We first ask Hashem to forgive us and to remove our sins. But if we are not deserving to have our sins completely removed and we are destined for some type of loss to atone for our sins, we ask Hashem to enable us to sustain those losses through the performance of mitzvahs. Right? So, that's like a win-win. You know, you just lost it. You just lost the money, but you've also gained mitzvahs by losing that money. So it's amazing if you can lose your money in such a fashion. Because if you lose your money to the government, there's no mitzvah in, in losing your money to the government. Again, it may be, I mean, you do get a mitzvah because dina de malchusa dina and paying taxes is a mitzvah. And cheating on your taxes is an extreme avera, extreme. Because that's the law of the land. And taxes is not against the Torah. So you cannot say that, oh, they're taking money from me. So I don't have to pay taxes. That's the law. So that's the law. And until that law gets changed, you have a mitzvah to pay taxes. So I guess a mitzvah does come out of losing your money to taxes, but he doesn't mention that here, so you can't really take what I've just said to be absolute truth. In a similar vein, some commentators note that one of the reasons Sukkot comes after Yom Kippur is that if it was decreed on Yom Kippur that we must leave our homes and go into exile, we should merit that the act of going into the Sukkah should replace our obligation of exile, another form of being inscribed in the Book of Merits, right? Because you go into your sukkah, again, this is me talking, you're going into your sukkah, and you're 
you're you're outside of your house, so it's like you're in Gullis. You're outside. There's winds. There's and unless it's raining, you have to eat in the sukkah. I mean, unless I mean, I mean, there's a lot of vegetarian depending on how uncomfortable you get. Again, every person according to his limits, to his or her limits. But and and by and by women, it's even more lenient. But I can't go into that because I don't know all the halachas. But from what I do understand, the mitzvah of sukkah is 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 for women. It's a lot more lenient. For men, it's a lot more stringent. And and for a man not to eat in the sukkah, it's not as easy. It's not as simple as for a woman not to eat in a sukkah. A woman has a lot more leniencies in this regard. But for men, the only the only like real time that we're not allowed to eat in the sukkah is if it rains. That because that's 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 basically Hashem kicking us out of the sukkah. He's kicking us out of his out of his booth that we're supposed to eat in and make brachas to Hakadosh Baruch Hu during this time of the year. But um, but if we're zaycha. And hopefully we will be to be able to eat in the sukkah every night of this sukkah. You know, it rained over Yom Kippur, it rained over Rosh Hashanah, and it's raining this week. You know, hopefully that's Hashem giving us the rain now, so that during sukkah it's beautiful, it's nice, not too hot, but it's nice, and we can eat in the sukkah and we can enjoy and we can with the festivities. You know, it's not all about party, party, party. We uh, us as Yidden, us as Jews, to all those non-Jews who are listening, all my brothers, all my non-Jewish brothers. The mitzvah of sukkah that we have to do is a beautiful mitzvah, and it's not done. It's perp and 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 it's not. It's not that it's not purposely done during the summer, but it's done during a time. The Torah made it during a time. Hashem made it that sukkah should be at a time of the year that the weather could literally be anything. It could be freezing outside. It can be boiling outside. So it means that we're not going outside to the booths because it's nice outside. We're going outside to the booths because it's. That's the law, which means that if it's too hot outside, which, you know, and it's like we're sitting in the shade, it's still hot outside. It's still uncomfortable, but we stay in there and we do our mitzvah because that's the commandment. We got to do the mitzvah. We do it. We try to do it with as much love as we can and within our uncomfortableness. But, you know, the, the, if you do the mitzvah with love, if you do the commandment with love, more schar for you. But if you do the mitzvah without love, you still get schar, you know, because you get the schar for doing the mitzvah. But obviously the better mitzvah is to do it with love. And that's what Hashem wants. And, you know, Hashem makes it rain. Hashem is literally kicking us out of the sukkah. So, I, you know, hopefully it doesn't rain the sukkah. So hopefully we'll be zaychet to eat in the sukkah every single, every single day. And it should give us merit. It should give us merit that it should be instead of staying in Gullus for another second. Question of the day. And I actually um, bent the page where the answer is so that I don't go dun, 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 dun for 20 minutes till I find the answer. Um, so let me just look for, okay, there, there we go. Question of the day. What is the nature of the covenant that promises Hashem's forgiveness when we recite the 13 attributes of mercy? The Brisker Rav writes that Hashem created an enormous storehouse of Rachamim from which he withdraws whatever mercy is needed when the Jews invoke the 13 attributes. Alright everybody. Thank you so much for listening. I'm going to need a lot of Siat Dishmaya to wake up for Shachris in the morning. I know I've <laughs> it's late. And I've I've ended this thing I've ended this this learning very late, Bar Hashem. it was beautiful. I truly enjoyed and I hope everybody enjoyed as enjoyed this learning, enjoys this learning as much as I did. And hopefully in this chus of everybody listening to this to the awesome shear that I that I was that I had the privilege of learning. Um, it should hopefully give me the schuss to be able to wake up for shachris in the morning and for slichus, which is in about four hours. 
So um, um, I really appreciate everybody that 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 listens and and um, spread it, spread it out. You know, who knows who can gain from this? And hopefully it should be a tayelas. Hopefully this should help me give me the schusim that I need to do teshuva, because this is what I'm doing this for. This is helping me. Everybody's helping me. Everybody who listens to this is helping me do teshuva, and it's your schus as well. Because I get a tremendous enjoyment when I see the views that people that people watch, or people, you know, like on YouTube. I, I put it up on YouTube. I, I share it on on, on, on on Twitter and on and on Facebook. I have a website called RockYourWorldTyra.com where you can listen to Shiram also. And hopefully, I, I plan to add a lot of stuff over there that should hopefully be a tailus for the Rabbim. You know, it says that when that, that that if somebody wants to do true tshuva, the best way for him to to merit to have the opportunity to do tshuva is to make himself indispensable to other people. So that's what I'm trying to do over here. This is real stuff. I'm trying to take what I've learned and actually translate it into real life. You know, and, and the Yitzhara likes to use that against me because the Yitzhara likes to keep on telling me, yeah, you're doing this because of Gaiver. You're doing this because, you know, maybe. Again, I, I, I went through a, a life of ups and downs, Baruch Hashem. And now I'm trying to keep it on the up and up, and I there's no guarantee that I'm not going to fall again. But hopefully my next my next nefila will be because you know everybody goes through their things in life, and and doing teshuva doesn't mean you're not going to fall again. It just means that that you're you finally understand right from wrong in your mind, and you and you want to repent for the sins that you've done before, whatever the reason was. It's between you and Hashem. It's between you and God. So your tshuva is also between you and God. But when you do stuff that other people could see, it causes a huge chil Hashem. And unfortunately, I did a lot of things. Unfortunately, I know I'm not supposed to speak Lashon Har about myself, but this is a Te'elis. Unfortunately, I've done things that a lot of people saw. I did something that was publicized on Facebook. I don't know how many people saw that. So what's the answer? How do you do tshuva for such a thing? How do you do tshuva? You publicize on Facebook. You take that Avera that you did, the, you take the vehicle that you used for the Avera and you flip it. You turn it upside down. You turn it into a mitzvah. That's all I'm doing over here. So Yitzhahara, go to the garbage. I don't need you. I mean, I need you. Yeah, please. Yitzhahara, stay with me until I don't need you anymore.